everyone, before you get started on this episode, I just want to let everybody know that I have renamed the show Historically Haunted, and I also changed up my formula from the episode. So what you're about to listen to is an older version of the show. The new show is a lot better. I hope you guys stick around to listen to the much newer episodes that started at episode 18. Also, if you want to get in touch with me, I'm now at Historically Haunted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you guys want to email me any personal paranormal experiences or just say hi, you can email me now at historicallyhaunted.313 at gmail.com. And I have my links to all my new stuff down below. So I hope you guys enjoy and I hope you guys stick around for the newer stuff. All right, let's roll that old tape. everyone. Welcome to History and Mystery. My name is Ariel and I am your ghost host for this evening, morning, or whenever you're listening to this podcast. This week's episode is going to be focusing on two places in California, one in Southern California, one in Northern California. The monster of the week is going to be focused on what is known as the Dark Watchers, which is in Southern California. And up in Northern California, we're going to be focusing on Donner Memorial State Park, which has a lot more haunts than just the infamous Donner Party that tried to pass through the mountains in the dead of winter. I would like to start off today's podcast by thanking anyone kind enough to give my show a listen. A few of you have been listening to me on Podbean and iTunes, and it's just fantastic. Thank you all so much. It would really appreciate it if you could give me a couple of reviews at the bottom of the screen and some comments as well. That would really help my show get off the ground and running. Now, as always, you can follow me on Facebook at History and Mystery. And also, you could email me any personal stories or just say hello at historyandmystery.13 at gmail.com. I am also now on Twitter, and you can find me at my Twitter account, History and Mystery. I'm definitely new to Twitter, but I'm going to do my best to try to update you guys on what I'm doing, what new podcasts are coming up next. I also was thinking I can use it as a way for suggestions for my monster of the week. So if you guys ever want to get on my face, I mean my Twitter account and tweet me, that would be awesome. And I can always connect with you guys through that. So just to recap, I have a Facebook page, a Facebook group, and they're both history and mystery. And then I also have a Twitter account that is history and mystery as well. And just so everyone knows, I have a picture of an Instagram logo as my cover photo for Facebook and Twitter. I have yet to make one. I've been trying and there's some kind of a glitch. So I'm in the process of working with the company right now. And also I am trying to get my podcast on Spotify. We've ran into a lot of hiccups, but I am on Podbean, Google Play, iTunes, Podcasts, and Stitcher. FYI, if I sound a little lackluster and a little stuffed up, it's because I'm fighting a really bad cold and slash flu bug so please bear with me sorry about that and for all of our new listeners to the show I just wanted to say a big welcome and I hope you will stick around please hit that subscribe button down below I always try to do this podcast every two weeks and I always uh, have a history in front of my hauntings and then I also start off with a cool thing that I like to call the monster of the week 
So if you listen to any stories about cryptids or interesting things that are in the woods, that's kind of what that segment is about. But the rest of my show is about history and then the hauntings that are still left over from years past. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Before I get into my show today, I would like to take a moment to remember the victims of the Gilroy Garlic Festival shooting, the El Paso, Texas shooting, and the Dayton, Ohio shooting. It is a really sad situation, and I'm really upset about all of the mass shootings going on right now in my country, but at the same time, I think this would be a good time to give out the National Suicide Prevention Hotline number because sometimes this kind of bad news really upsets a lot of people in ways that maybe they didn't expect. So the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is 1-800-273-8255 and you can also go to their website suicidepreventionlifeline.org and they have a chat and they also do it for the deaf and hearing impaired and they have it in Spanish as well. I just really would like to just right now just remember the victims of the shootings and um, yeah, wow. I think we can all find a way to get come together and um, just be there for each other. And it's just really sad, but you know, stay strong, everyone. I love you guys. It's time for Monster of the Week, and tonight's Monster of the Week is called the Dark Watchers. They can be found in the coastal mountains of Santa Luca Mountains in California. While California is most famous for Bigfoot sightings and that infamous patty tape, that just so happens one of my favorite podcasts named Astonishing Legends recently covered in a detailed six-part episode. I would highly recommend everyone go check that out. Bigfoot is not the only weird thing you will find hiding in the woods. If you have never been to California before, let me just say that California is a huge state. The state stretches nearly 800 miles long, the coastline is over 840 miles long, and from the ocean to the next state traveling east, it's roughly 250 miles wide, depending on borders of the neighboring states, of course. And it's not all flat. It's not all like the city of LA and Hollywood that usually comes to mind when people think of California who have never been to the state before. It has oceans, cliffs, many beautiful and dangerous volcanoes, forests, mountains, lakes. Some of those mountain lakes you have to hike miles just to get to with no one around. I could go on and on. Needless to say, this state has a lot of space that is not lived on 24-7. And not everyone lives on the coast due to the state being so wide. It's the third largest state in the Union, and it has lots of room to hide its many secrets. One of those secrets is the Dark Watchers. They can be found in the coastal mountains of the Santa Lucha Mountain Range in California. This mountain range stretches 105 miles between the San Luis Luz- San Obispo and Montreal County. 
The first accounts of the Dark Watchers came from an Indian tribe that lived and hunted in the forest in the 200-mile mountain range between what is now Malibu and Paso Robles. Early Spanish explorers even spoke of them, and once the European settlers arrived in the area, they gave reports of seeing the Dark Watchers too. What are the Dark Watchers, you might ask? Well, they are described as a humanoid entity ranging in height from 7 feet to 15 feet tall. They are said to be dressed in all black and wearing flowing cloaks with wide brim hats. They are mostly seen around dawn and twilight, but there have been reports of them in broad daylight when they are hiding in the shadows of the trees. No one has ever figured out exactly what they do because they don't seem to do anything but stand there and stare over the mountains and the ocean, almost as if they're waiting for someone. They stand on cliffs overlooking the area as if surveying the land. Many accounts have also described them as holding something in their hands like a stick or maybe even a walking stick. They apparently have no facial features, almost like a solid shadow dressed in all black cloaks, wearing wide brim hats, and they're all like in a giant like shadow formation. And they're always seen at a distance. Whenever a person spots them and tries to get too close, they vanish without a trace. While they don't seem to ever harm anyone, but they do creep a lot of people out, and I know I would be one of them. Imagine just some dark shadow staring at you until it just goes away. Ugh, that just gives me the chills just thinking about it. When I was doing my research, I found so many accounts of people seeing these creatures that I had to just pick one. But it does make me never want to go hiking in this area by myself. Uh, especially this story from an anonymous writer who comes from Ojai, California, from the website MysteriousUniverse.org, in an article about the Dark Watchers. Now, this is a direct quote from what he wrote on this website. So it says, quote, I was hiking up a remote trail in the 33 at Ojai. I was about an hour up the mountain. No people, no cars in sight. And I was just hiking. I had this eerie feeling that I was being watched. I looked up at the top of the mountain and saw a black figure standing there. I waved jokingly, not really thinking the object was a person, but it waved back. Thinking I was maybe tripping or that it was a tree waving in the wind, I decided to take a puff of my cigarette only to see the figure blow out a plume of smoke as well. I started seeing it floating, and I mean floating, almost floating vertical. I ran the heck back to my car and sprained my knee in the process, end quote. I don't know about you, but that just freaked me out. It's the idea of the trickster element thrown in there with it, like, exactly mimicking you. There's something about mimicking objects that just freaked me out. Ugh. But when it comes to the Dark Watchers, according to most accounts, they just stare at you and then vanish, and you can't even find a footprint or anything. It's kind of creepy, but it's also kind of weird. It's like, what do they want? I mean, they mostly sound peaceful to me, because they're also not known to show themselves to people who are carrying a weapon or any of that heavy-duty weatherproof or hunter clothing, but they strangely will show themselves to people who are wearing more old-fashioned outfits. And I find that very specific and interesting. I don't know if they're like an old-world entity. I'm, it's just fascinating to me. And I don't know what they're doing. What are they waiting for or looking for? Are they just observing? Is that their job? Hmm. A lot of open-ended questions on this one. So on that last odd note, I will end by saying this. If you're ever hiking in the woods or you go to the beach near the location and you feel like there's someone watching you, it just might be the Dark Watchers.
Donner Memorial State Park is located in the Sierra Nevadas in California, just east of Donner Pass. This beautiful alpine scenery makes this the perfect place for camping, fishing, hiking, boating, and canoeing. For more than 9,000 years, it was used by the Washu people. The park was at the heart of the ancestral homeland for the Washu people. For more than 9,000 years, it was used by the Washu people. This park was the heart of the ancestral homeland for them. The semi-nomadic tribe spent their time in the summer gathering and hunting in this area. They would fish for mountain trout in the nearby lakes and gather pine nuts for wintertime. After gold was discovered in the area in 1848, the life of this tribe changed drastically. Thousands of white settlers began to pass through their land, and many of the settlers decided to stay and strike up homesteads. The Washu people were forced to adapt to their new living restrictions, working for ranchers and in settlers' homes. Some of them began small markets and sold fish and game to restaurants in the area. The U.S. government promised them land, but in normal white people fashion, they only gave them the already logged over areas with no good water source to build their new communities on. And as much as I love history, those key elements are the parts that I hate reporting on. I always report the facts, but gosh, why can't people just not take people's stuff? It makes me sick. Today, the Washu people still live in the area, and now they have started advocating for conservation and began reintroducing once depleted resources back into the park. Once early settlements began to spring up in Northern California in 1844, immigrants began entering California in large numbers with the promise of a better opportunity. The building of Sutter's Fort in Sacramento helped fuel the desire to move to the west into Northern California, and the promise of gold drove people to California by the thousands. Prior to 1844, there was no easy way to get to Sutter's Fort. Only two wagon trains had ever tried to cross the Sierra Nevadas, and that was the Steffens and the Murphy Party. Though the party succeeded, the group had to leave six wagons at the lake that was then called Deschast Chut. I think that's how you say it, uh, which the party then renamed Truckee Lake. And they were the only able to take five wagons in total up the steep terrain uh, to cross the path. And they crossed that on November 25th, 1844. The most traveled route was to travel north of the Verde Range and rejoining the Truckee River above this rugged canyon and then cross through Cold Stream Canyon south of Donner Pass. The route was later replaced by the Dutch Flat or Donner Lake Toll Road in 1846, but the railroad would make it easier and faster way to travel out west, bringing a quick end to the toll road. Now, as you might have noticed by now, the namesake of this uh, state park is Donner. So that is, of course, related to the Donner Party incident that happened. And that's most famously the saddest thing that has ever happened to a wagon train. It is in everyone's history books, and also people love to talk about how the group was driven to cannibalism while being trapped in the mountains during the dead of winter. The history behind it is full of bad choices, late starts, and a life lesson about not taking shortcuts from a sleazy businessman. So, here it is. You get a bonus history lesson with this episode. Here is the history of the Donner Party. In 
In April 1846, farmers from the Illinois named George and Jacob Donner and cabin maker James Reed got a wagon train ready to go with nine ox-drawn wagons. Because they left so late in the season for traveling across the country, the family's wagons were at the very back of the wagon train of 500. They traveled across the country smoothly until they took a fork in the road. They were lagging behind the rest of the party on and on July 12th, the party received a brand new book called The Immigrant's Guide to Oregon and California. The author of this book was Ohio attorney Cansford W. Hastings and spoke of a newfound shortcut that would save them about 300 miles of travel and that would shorten the trip about 30 to 60 days. Trying to get groups of people to come to his newfound trail, he sent a letter in the book that warned the migrants that they could expect opposition from the Mexican authorities in California and advised them to band together in large groups. This made the Donner Party more willing to take this new shortcut in fear of being so far behind already. Inside the letter, Hastings was also claiming that he would be at Fort Brainier and guide the migrants along this newfound cutoff. To me, this part blows my mind. It turns out that Hastings had never even traveled this new shortcut he was bragging about. And when he finally returned from California to map out the route, uh, he brought a wagon party with him. And he found out that he underestimated the trip across the Salt Lake by 40 miles. And it was much too dangerous to take. So apparently he just surveyed it by maps instead of by actually going and seeing if there was a way to take this trail. And to me, that just is weird. I don't understand what he was thinking, but he cost a lot of people a lot of problems. On July 20th, the rest of the wagon trains decided to take the normal route that was already tested and found safe. And the Donner Party decided to take the new shortcut and left the main wagon party with a total of 87 people. So the Donner Party is already running behind schedule. They had a million setbacks just to get to the wagon train. Now that they're on the wagon train, they're taking a brand new trail that no one has ever taken before. And here comes a million more mishaps that are just awful. It turns out a journalist named Edward Bryant uh, went to investigate this trail and he reached the fort a full week ahead of the Donner Party. And he tried to go up the new cutoff, but he found it way too difficult for him even to pass just by himself. So knowing that there was a full wagon train of men and women and children coming behind him, he decided he would leave letters at the Jim Bregier's trading post and warning them not to take the new shortcut and to go meet up with the original trail and go the original way. And then he left with Hastings, leading a group of 40 wagoneers back to the original trail. The Donners got to Fort Bregeer on July 27th, and since Hastings and Bryant had already left, and Jim Bregeer's trading post would favor much better if the shortcut worked, he hid the letters and lied to the Donner party. He told them it was an easy trip with plenty of water along the way and would save them so much time, why not take it? Impressed, the Donner parties rested at the trading post and then began the trip up Hastings cutoff. Cue sleazy businessman music. So this was the part of the journey that made them get stuck in Donner's past. I feel like most people, including me, think that the place that they got stranded in was the shortcut on Donner's past that they took and got stranded, but it actually was the Hastings cutoff that took them through the desert of Utah and Nevada that made them a whole month behind schedule, and they were already behind schedule to begin with. So when they began the shortcut, they had to go over the wooded and steep forested mountains of Wyoming and then drop down into the Salt Lake area. 
when they got up to the top, it took them two whole weeks just to get down to the dried up salt lake. And then when they got there, that made them have to cross in September with blistering heat. The heat was so intense that at night it made the soil evaporate and that made the soil like get wet again and it made it get super muddy so that all the wagons were kept getting stuck. And by the time they got back to the regular trail, they had nothing but the Donner Pass ahead of them. Needless to say, this wagon party was exhausted and they started to fight amongst themselves really bad. Um, they all began fighting with each other and creating a lot of discourse and they had this uh, one for all, you know, everyone for themselves type of attitude. One fight even broke out that made the party um, kick out James Reed and send him on his way ahead of the wagon train and uh, he arrived at Sutter's Fort and waited for them to come to the fort but as winter started setting in he knew something was drastically wrong. In October, the Donner Party arrived at Truckee Meadows and they had sent Charles Stanton ahead to send for supplies back to them and he arrived but told George Donner that the way ahead was going to be extremely difficult and for some reason the party decided to rest for six full days before the final push up the pass and that rest turned out to be the last fatal blow. The snow made it impossible to pass by the time they got up to the top. Horrible storms after horrible storms set in and the snowbound party was forced to build makeshift cabins out of logs and set up tents. Fifteen members of the party left in desperation to find help and the whole group took them a full month to stumble upon a ranch. By the time only seven of that fifteen remained alive, those that survived were two men and five women and they ate only one deer that they were able to shoot along the way, and eventually they had to eat the flesh of their fallen kin. So this snowbound party has been up in the mountains for a month, and like almost nobody knows they're there. Around the same time, Reed was starting to grow really anxious at Sutter's Fort about the Donner Party not showing up to the fort yet. So he figured something bad had happened, and he finally began to form a rescue party. And Sutter's Fort sent a party to retrieve the Donner Party just behind the rescue party of men that was sent up from that ranch that the survivors had found. By the time the first rescue party arrived, only 45 people out of the 87 were left, and they had all survived by eating their fallen. The rescuers split the group into two and left with the first group promising to return. Luckily, Reed's rescue party met the first wave of rescuers coming down the mountain and went up to save the rest of the survivors so they didn't have to be waiting up there very long. Oh my god, could you imagine half of them going and you afraid that maybe you might not get rescued after you get that hope? Oh, that would be horrible. Anyway, the uh, parties, both of them were able to bring them to safety and they all brought them to Sutter's Fort. There's one artifact that is still there today. It's actually Patty Reed's doll. Patty Reed was only eight years old when all this happened and she's one of the survivors and the entire wagon train and the whole ordeal she was able to cling on to her doll. I have actually seen that doll at Sutter's Fort and Sutter's Fort is another great place you should try to visit if you get the chance. The park, the pass, and the lake are now all named after the Donner Party and they have a nice memorial statue dedicated to all the brave pioneers who braved the elements and came out to California across the country on land. Fun fact about the monument, it stands 22 feet high to surpass the greatest depths of snow that may accumulate at the lakes. The Donner Party is such a sad story. It also always has given me the creeps to hear about it. 
and I learned way more about it doing this episode than I did in school, that's for sure. They never really seemed to mention that there was a lot of discourse with the group and that they were so far behind to begin with. Now, the Donner Party is not the only thing that this area is known for, it's just the most famous. The Central Pacific Railroad began its push to build the first transcontinental railroad in 1863. The goal was to connect with the Union Pacific Railroad in Permatory, Utah. The West and the East wanted to beat each other to that golden spike. So the race was on. Railroad companies needed workers fast, so they looked to hire men from all over the area. Thousands of Chinese immigrants began to help create a boom in the area's economy as they labored for the railroad company between Donner Summit and Reno, Nevada. Lots of accident happened due to poor working conditions and the want to rush the process. Also, because of so many men pouring into the area, the lumber company became a booming industry. By 1867, there was work for lumberjacks, railroads, and even ice harvesting. They would try to hire lumbermen to cut ice from the lumber mill ponds in the surrounding lakes to use it to cool down extreme heat for the Comstock silver mines that was close by. The ice then was also shipped across the country by railroad. In 1924, the Pacific Fruit Express successor to the Donner Ice Company gave 10 acres in the east end of Donner Lake to the native sons of the Golden West. And on May 23, 1926, the Native Sons donated 11 acres to the state to make a public memorial to all pioneers. A few years later, more acres were added and is now an official state park. Today, the area is protected land where visitors can enjoy everything, like I said in the beginning, from fishing to camping, swimming, and much more. There is a visitor's center. It has exhibits about the Washu Indians and the 1840s immigration and also talks of course about the Donner Party tragedy and the Chinese railroad workers and builders and they also even have a really cool exhibit about early auto travel over the summit. This is definitely on my list of places I must visit someday. I think a camping trip is in the works in my very near future. It is easy to see how this land that is covered with energy, while not all of it is bad energy necessarily, there is lots of hardship and sorrow that are also attached to this area. And as we all know, that is a perfect cocktail for hauntings. The hauntings in this area range from typical cold spots to apparitions and residual hauntings. The Donner Pass tunnels are one of the biggest hot spots for haunted activity. Remember how I said that the Transcontinental Railroad brought new workers to the area? Well, more than 12,000 Chinese workers were set to doing the most dangerous jobs. They had to blast a tunnel through solid granite to get from one side of the Sierra to the other. They carved the tunnel under the Donner Pass so that a train could get through instead of going over like the wagons trains in the past. Finished this work in only 12 months. All that work caused lots of accidents, not to mention bad weather. For instance, in 1866, there was a really horrible winter and it created lots of avalanches that buried lots of the workers alive and they were living in makeshift camps along the mountainside. Hundreds died in this area. Tunnel 6 is the longest and most infamous tunnel for hauntings. This tunnel stretches 1,659 feet and it is the first 
railroad tunnel to go through the Sierra Nevada range. Today it is no longer in use and it is now a hiking trail and a creepy one at that. It's full of graffiti, but from the sound of the reviews, it sounds like a pretty fun hike, actually. It's not a place that should scare you off just because of the graffiti. A lot of people said it's more like urban art and very, like, trendy stuff. And I don't know. I have mixed feelings about people destroying a historical section by graffiti, but at the same time, sometimes graffiti is kind of nice. It becoming a hiking trail is an amazing way to look at this modern marvel that was all made by hand. And it's also hard to imagine all the pain and suffering that went into making it. Footsteps are often heard as if someone is walking right behind you, only to have you turn around and there be no one there. Random cold spots and hot spots can be felt all throughout the tunnel, although the tunnels are pretty cold, so I don't know about the cold spots. It's hard to judge if something is colder when the entire tunnel is cold. Along with that... A lot of people have reported spotting shadows in the corner of their eyes, orbs can be seen caught on camera, and the sounds of phantom construction work can be heard from deep within the tunnel. It is also said that train whistles can even be heard, even though the track has not been in use since the 90s. There have been stories of people even hearing noises that sound like dynamite going off in the distance, so I call those phantom blasts. The deepest part of this tunnel has a curve to it, and with the elevation change, this tunnel has a stretch where there is no light visible from either side, which to me is really fascinating, a pitch black tunnel section. That's really cool. I found while doing my research that lots of ghost investigators have been to this area, and when they go, they report uh, whispers are often heard, battery equipment dies suddenly with no explanation at all, EMF detectors have been known to go off where there is no electricity, voice recorders have picked up lots of EVPs. One of those ghost teams that I found online said that they even picked up an EVP of a um, phantom boom and they think it was the, you know, a phantom dynamite blast. But the thing was, is no one in the group heard it and the cameras didn't pick it up. Only everyone's voice recorders picked it up. So that's kind of weird and one of those more unexplainable things. The next haunting experience in Donner Memorial Park I found was on a website, theunion.com, where a woman explained that she was driving toward Donner Memorial Park and she began to feel this feeling of excitement, like she was going to go see an old friend that she hasn't seen in a long time. Apparently, she was a history buff, no-nonsense type of woman who did not believe in the paranormal at this time, but she was getting really weirded out by the feeling that she was having when she had no plans to see any of her good friends that day, especially old ones. The closer she got to the park, the sensation that she felt got overwhelming. From the beginning of parking her car, she felt like she was being watched and definitely not alone, that there was no one around her at the time. She started on her hike, and when she got closer to where the cabins and tents were once set up when the Donner Party got snowbound, she began to smell this horrible odor like dirty men or like even a sickly smells. She then began to cry and feeling so overcome with emotion. Was it one of the Donner Party that maybe she was channeling the feelings or could it be someone else who died up there on the mountain pass? The feeling of being watched is reported throughout the whole park. It is also reported along with phantom smells, again, cold spots, whispers, Apparitions of pioneers have been seen in the area. Some seem to be residual, more like they keep doing the same thing over and over again. And some have accounts of sounding a little intelligent. Some stories I ran across were so crazy and hard to believe. However, one story I ran across kind of jumped out at me out of all the others. 
It said that a hunter in the early 1900s became lost in the snow and he stumbled upon a camp in the woods and he was able to warm up by a fire. And then he left saying he would come back the next day. And when he did come back the next day, the camp was completely gone. So that sounds like one of those old legends that are good to be told at campfires and they're just too good to be true. But who knows? Maybe that actually did happen. And was it the Donner Party camp he ran into or was it a different pioneer family from the past that maybe didn't make it over the mountain either? The area around the lake even has a couple of paranormal activity things that happen there too. Um, There's been reports of clothes being tugged on, orbs in photos, even seeing orbs to the naked eye, especially at night, and even figures being seen after somebody takes a picture or a video. Donner Memorial State Park is haunted or not, it really doesn't matter. I think that is just a cool place. I'm definitely going to want to go camp here and visit and see what I can see for sure, but I just might bring a voice recorder with me just in case. You never know. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and had some fun and learned some new things along the way. If you have not already, please hit that subscribe button down below and also give me a review and a comment. And of course, if you would like to get in contact with me, you can at historyandmystery.13 at gmail.com. Also, I have a Facebook page, a Facebook group at History and Mystery, and I also have a Twitter account at History and Mystery. Thank you guys so much. I cannot wait to see you guys in the next couple of weeks. See you guys later.